You'll know real when you get it. It will say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like a gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things that you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Hello, hello. It's Brooke DeVard, and you're listening to the Naked Beauty Podcast. Happy Black History Month. We're at the very tail end. Listen, for me, every month is Black History Month. It's not just contained in February, but a lot of great things have happened this month for Black Excellence. Black Panther, of course. I just saw it. I cannot believe how amazing that movie was, how beautiful the set design was, the costume design, the hair, the makeup, the actors are just stunning. You're just sitting there like so enchanted the whole time. And I don't even like superhero movies, to be very clear. I actually hate action, sci-fi. That's not a genre I typically identify with, but I loved Black Panther. One of the things I appreciated most about Black Panther was the costume design. I've read every single interview I can with the costume designer, Ruth Carter. She is a legend. She's done a lot of Spike Lee films. She just goes above and beyond. It's one of those professions that I feel like if I didn't do what I do now, I would have been a costume designer because I love film. I love storytelling. I love history. I love fashion. And you kind of get to combine all of those things. But wow. Well, the script was incredible. Ryan Coogler, I think he's like 31 years old. I cannot believe what a master of his craft he is already. I think this is the beginning of a franchise similar to what Star Wars is. um, And I just couldn't be happier about the film. Of course, this month, um, former President Barack Obama and former First Lady Michelle Obama had their portraits revealed. Um, President Obama's portrait done by Kehendi Wiley is so stunningly beautiful. What else happened in February? Oh, Drake gave away a million dollars in his music video for God's Plan. Let's put that in black excellence. A lot of black models in Fashion Week this year, more so than in previous seasons. Um, uh, The Prada show just made history. Let me just, let me get the names right. But yes, last night model Anouk Yai made history at Prada's fall 2018 show during Milan Fashion Week. The 19-year-old became the second black model to ever open a Prada show. The first was Naomi Campbell back in 1997. So that means it's been literally over two decades since a black model opened the show. Um, I'm happy that Prada is finally seeing the light. Diversity on the runway is a really positive trend that I hope to continue to see. Today's show is about black history of the past. I got to interview Nichelle Gaynor, who I have admired for years and years and years, back when vintage black glamour was just online before she started doing her books. I've always been really drawn to the past. I've always been drawn to women like Josephine Baker, of course, and all of the kind of muses and actresses and musicians from 
former decades, they just had this kind of allure and glamour to them that you don't see as much anymore. And um, Nichelle is just, I think she calls herself at one point in the episode, like the black history encyclopedia. Her knowledge is just so deep and I, I loved talking to her. I could have talked to her for hours. Actually, to be fair, she stayed after we recorded and we talked for hours and hours more, but she is just so interesting. Um, I love the perspective that she brought to the show. You guys are going to learn so much listening to this episode. I was learning throughout the conversation. The show notes are very in-depth as always. And, you know, Black history is American history and a lot of this is women's history. It's, you know, just history of culture. And it's so important to understand the past in order to know where we're going and what the future could hold. I hope you guys love this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Stay healthy, stay hydrated, make sure you're moisturizing, you know, getting lots of sleep. Spring is around the corner. I couldn't be more excited about that. Really, really excited to share this episode with you guys. All right. I'm sitting here with Nichelle of Vintage Black Glamour, which I have been following and loving. Was it? I was still in college. So it must have been 2010? 11. 11. Okay. Close. <laughs> Close. But I remember just like image after image of these super glamorous, beautiful black men and women from every decade just inspiring me and I remember the book came out I have the book on my coffee table that I just showed you so I'm honored to have you on the show thank you so much for coming thank you Brooke I'm honored to be here yes and it's black history month which is like I'm like every day is black like every month is black history month especially on vintage black glamour I always say that I I haven't said that on haven't posted yet um (laughs) that particular phrase that I say all the time but uh yeah, yeah every day you know every day every month all the time. Yes. Put it back in the textbooks and yes. keep it there. And keep it there. Exactly. <laughs> what inspired you to create Vintage Black Glamour, which is an amazing name, by the way? Uh, the thank you. It just came to me one day because initially I was writing fiction. Uh, mm. They It was inspired by two of my aunts. One okay. aunt that I've known all my life and one that I discovered a little later. Okay. So I was in the Schomburg uptown oh, in, wow, Harlem. in Harlem. I was researching a novel that is still in my back pocket. Okay. Um, kind of inspired by my aunt Mildred Taylor, who is pictured in the back of the book. She's the aunt oh, in the back. Okay. And uh, she modeled in the 50s, you know, black women in the 50s. You know, we had our whole... Uh, a whole circuit of fashion shows and yes. beauty contests yes. that were black only because because the mainstream things at that time explicitly did not uh, permit black contestants. Right. The Miss America contest um, contest had the infamous rule number seven. What's that? What's rule number seven? Uh, that contestants must be tw- at least 21 years of age in good health and of the white race. Wow. Like they explicitly said that? That was in writing, yes. Wow. Know. And that's the fifties. Yeah, it stopped. Yeah, pretty they finally. Recent, that's pretty re- like that's pretty recent history. Yeah, and they finally stopped that explicit rule in 1950. Actually, it was it was Miss America started like back in the early 20s or mm-hmm. something, uh, and and it stopped it. That rule technically stopped in 1950, but no black women locally black women competed. Mm-hmm. 
but no black woman really got to the national contest before 1970. Mm. And of course, the first black winner was Vanessa, Vanessa Williams. Williams, of course. And for, uh, for 1984, it was uh, 1983. I remember it specifically because I'm from South Jersey. Okay. And so South Jersey near Philadelphia, which is also near Atlantic City. Okay. So our local newspapers would have the Miss America contest preliminaries in the paper. And that year, there were four or five black contestants and a Latina. Oh. So it was, it was, and Miss New Jersey was black at, at okay. the time, but even though she was, you know, I was from New Jersey, even at that time, I was <laughs> rooting for Miss New York. Yeah. I've always liked Vanessa Williams, even from that time. Yeah. And so, and she won. I just, you know how you see people and you just know. No, and I just there's knew, something about her. I'm not surprised that she's still famous because you can feel that people, energy. Yeah. Some people just have that thing. But anyway, that's, you know. That was That's, the genesis of it. Yeah, and Miss USA, those same, you know, Miss Universe, the same thing. That was more international, mm-hmm. obviously, Miss Universe. Mm-hmm. So you had a black winner as early as 1977 from Trinidad and Tobago, oh, wow. Janelle Comisson. I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. I really, I really wanted um, a picture of her in the book, but I couldn't find a good quality one. I yes. don't just, yeah, I, I like good quality pictures. Yes. And the photography in the books is beautiful. Yeah, thank you. And I, I just couldn't get a good one in time. Yes. She still looks amazing, but she was the first black winner in okay. 1977. And she was in a lot of um, different ads and there are great pictures of her with Michael Jackson and yeah. other celebrities in the day. And so it was not as unusual at that, at that point, but in the fifties, Especially locally, we were on our own. Church yeah. fashion shows, um, <laughs> yes. independent uh, owners of beauty salons, mm-hmm. and, and uh, d- d- just, you know, we had our own thing. And so that's what my aunt did locally. Okay. And she was also a, a singer, so they had, con- you know, you can, that was her talent, you know, right. for the talent contest right. held in Indianapolis. And she told me that the representative from New York was Diane Carroll. <gasps> wow. That's major. Yeah. So, I mean... Well, we should give background because some people... And this is the thing that I'm realizing. I'm... I love history. I love especially mm. black history. And that's why I think I connected with your site. It's funny that you mentioned the Schomburg because I was so fascinated by the Harlem Renaissance and I ended up writing a lot about it in college. And mm. so I'd always have to go to the Schomburg because the Schomburg is like the ultimate library for anything related to Harlem, especially the Harlem Renaissance. Who is Diane Carroll and why is she such an important figure? Oh, Diane Carroll, the majestic Diane Carroll, <laughs> born in the Bronx. Her oh, is she from the Bronx? I didn't know that. Yes. Her first name is actually Carroll. She was born Carol Diane Johnson and oh, she eventually flipped it. Be- yes. But she started out as a teenage model. She modeled for Ebony back in the day. Yeah. She comes from a very, you know, kind of, I won't say conservative, but it was, you know, from a traditional type yeah. home, mom and pop who wanted her to go to college yes. and get married and do all the traditional things. And she wanted to do her thing. And Show she business. did this. Yeah. Yes. So she, you know, she studied, you know, dance and acting yeah. obviously. And, and, uh, she did Broadway in the early fifties and, you know, just always just honing her craft and skill and her image and the whole thing. And it was also her, and, you know, it was one thing to hone it, but she also had that naturally the elegance, the whole yes. thing. She was one of, it's a weird little factoid though, but she was the first black guest to sit down on a Tonight Show, to have to sit as a guest. Wow. And you know how I know that weird little fact? Because Jack Parr, who was like the first host of the Tonight Show, he wrote about it in his 
autobiography as like in this the 80s. moment like there was yeah. a black person on the show and what year was this that she was the first it person? was supposed to be i think it was like 1959 60 somewhere okay. in that range like dick dick gregory was like the second some people said that he was the first but te- according to jack parr it was dying dying carol, carol. yeah but, but it, it was random because it, jack parr said well you know i realized we had a lot of uh, black guests on our show but they never sat down on mm-hmm. the couch with me and i just thought it was kind of weird so when she was in carmen she was in carmen jones that's the um, oh, okay she, she was um one of dorothy dandridge's friends and oh, that really? pearl bailey was in it carmen wow. de love was one of the dancers next carmen, was i learned about carmen from your site and okay. so, so this is the thing, this is the thing that i love about your content so they're obviously the icons of you know vintage black glamour that yeah. everyone knows right yes who would be like the most who, who like eartha kit maybe josephine baker eartha jo- kit josephine baker the icon of dorothy this dandridge very, and very lena i call them the four goddesses because those are the main <laughs> ones that in fact initially in early early versions of vintage black glamour the book i actually had a chapter called the goddesses the goddesses where I was just okay wait put, who are they again right. let me just make sure i have the goddesses My right goddess, that's yes. the way i put it Josephine Baker, Lena Horne, Dorothy Dandridge, and Eartha Kitt. Eartha Kitt Those okay. are the ones who are the most well known by everyone. Yes, not just black. Um, yes, audience. Even though, even, and you know, be surprised. Some. I mean, you're you you're you're, you're I'm twenty eight. You're twenty eight. But I love history, and I feel like Which I, my great. spirit aligns That's more. Why with, I like you, Brooke, because oh, you'd be surprised you. at how many twenty eight year olds don't know. Don't a lot know. Of I know. When I was twenty eight, I knew these things. I, I didn't know. have the internet. I mean, we <laughs> had the internet, but the internet was not as vast as. It is, right, but know. that's why your work is so important, right? Because you're you're exposing people to this history that we can't afford to lose. Well, that's why I started it in the first place. So, okay, the goddesses. Is it true that I think it was Dorothy Dandridge that I was reading this about, or maybe it was Lena Horne that Marilyn Monroe like modeled herself after? I wouldn't say uh, they, that she modeled herself. From what I understand, they were friendly. They were friends. Is They're, it Dorothy? Dorothy Dandridge and Marilyn Monroe. They were friends. About? Yeah, because okay. well, they were at least they were at least friendly, according to Dorothy Dandridge. And one okay. of her um, um, auto, autobiographies, the one that I think Earl Mills kind of tweaked or, or whatever. But I, and I think um, I think Donald Bogle in his definitive biography on her, I think he mentions it as well. They took acting classes together at the actor Studio in okay. L.A. They're in the, the and that that was a very liberal place. It was so liberal that it was investigated by the government for being communist because they allow blacks and Latinos. And, oh, a scandal! You know, yeah, can yeah. you imagine? So yeah. they had like you know. Blacks and whites were fraternizing, you know, apparently yeah. taking acting classes yeah. and enjoying each other's company. And so, yeah, they were, they both took classes at that time. And from what, what I understand, you know, it's, I don't think there was any rivalry or any, you know. Okay. Yeah. And during that time, really, Marilyn Monroe was already, um, they were both, were they both coming up at that? Like, uh, Carmen Jones hit in like 1954 or mm-hmm. so, but Marilyn Monroe was already kind of coming up at fame as well right. at that time. They kind of like peaked around the same, the time, same time in different things. Yeah. Obviously, Marilyn Monroe was much more famous, yes. but um, yeah, it's a. Uh, they were they were fine. They were they were friendly from what I They're understand. Contemporaries. The hard thing for me is I wish um you don't hear as many stories, and I certainly haven't found any pictures of people like Lena Horne and Dorothy Dandridge in the same picture. Right? Yeah. Like, did they like hang that. out? Not that I've ever heard of. Because also, I mean, Lena Horne is also like a decade older than her. So, She's 10 years older. Okay. Yeah. And, and so, and, and and more famous in different circles. I mean, we're all, we're not monolith, right? So they all have different, even yes. though sometimes they shared the same vocal coach, uh, Phil Moore, who's also in my men's book. He, he was a vocal coach for Marilyn Monroe. And, uh, Interesting. 
Dorothy Dandridge, but also people like us, Sinatra and Judy Garland, from what I understand. So he, he trained basically everybody. everybody. <laughs> yes. The, the he, men's, was, the, he was the, the guy. Yeah, the book in my, I mean, the picture of him in my men's book, I purposely put a picture of him with Marilyn Monroe because I talked about him in the other one, ones. But okay. he was really, he's he, that'd be a great little play or like a little, you know, a short story, something yeah. of someone like him, some integral people like that who yes. were like behind the scenes, but, training okay. these legends that we Yes, know. okay. Yeah. There are like so many podcasts slash documentaries that I think you should make, <laughs> but the behind the scenes people are so fascinating to me. I remember when I was studying the Harlem Renaissance, learning about James Van Der Zee, who mm. pretty much photographed the entire Renaissance, right? He absolutely, and and then some, and then some. So, so much. our under so much of our understanding of what the Harlem Renaissance is and was is from his photographs. And imagine if he wasn't around to take them. And then I also remember learning about Carl Van Vechten, who is he was white and German, yeah. and he also photographed. Interesting fellow. All most of the color pictures in my book, well, especially the ones that are much older, older. are by Carl Van Beck. Yeah, because this is the twenties. What we're talking Absolutely. about? Absolutely. So. Dunn. Gosh, why am I blanking on her name? But she was the Harlem, um, the it girl of Harlem Renaissance. I okay. called her, and she went to all the parties, black yes. and white, uptown and downtown. There was some girl I remember reading about. Is it Aaliyah? Aaliyah? She was. She had a big house, and she would always have all these parties. She was also bisexual. Alayla, Alayla Walker. Oh, Alilia. Yeah, Madam C.J. Walker's daughter. That's Madam C.J. Walker's daughter? Yes, yes. So, okay, what was her deal? My friend Alilia's... I feel like we're gossiping about people from like the times, but what was her deal? Nothing that she... If she was in the book... Well, the daughter was in in, in the book, Alilia Walker. Yes. She was the, you know... So her mother was a millionaire. The first black millionaire, Madam C.J. Walker. First black... I mean, the the first self-made woman, too. Period. Black, white. The first woman to become a... Self-made. Not inherited from daddy. Yes. (laughs) And, And it was because she was selling relaxer, pretty much. Well, what they hoped was relaxer. They, I don't know what it was. You know, it was uh, a hair straightening. Some type of hair potion. A hair I think potion. Kind. Yes. She sold skin products. She sold different okay. uh, things. You know, just trying to beautify, trying to help. She had a, a beauty school. Yes. She's an entrepreneur. She, you know, she started out as, as a washerwoman. Wow. And her and she made all this money. Obviously, a multimillionaire. Mm-hmm. And she had a place up in Harlem, somewhere in in the one thirties, um, not far from uh, near in in or near Strivers Row. She was also she also bought a home in a. Westchester in Irvington. Oh wow! On good, Hudson, good for Villa her. Lawaro, it's called. Okay, and um, that's where she, they'd have like a lot of, of infamous parties there as well. Yes. She had infamous parties in Harlem. She oh, so infamous, she was infamous, and her daughter was. No, no, no. The daughter. Oh, the daughter. Not, no, I'm it. talking about yeah. daughter. Not yes. Madam Walker died by this time. Like okay. In the early, yeah. So she this was is, long gone. This was the daughter, the one who was like the patron of the arts and yes. And, and what year and, is uh, this? I want to say late twenties, early thirties, right in the Harlem Renaissance thirties. Uh, and but, yeah. but I remember reading that she was bisexual, which like I didn't yeah. know was even acceptable. There are quite a few flexible people there. I, can't, I mean, whether they were bisexual, fle- you know, they were. You know, I yes. like to say flexible because yes. it's one thing for what but they, they were say. living in the twenties. Like, yeah, but they were. It depends on who you're talking about. The circles that you're in. Yes, so true. they were. She had like these bathtub gin parties. Yes. She had parties where um, she. She had one party, some infamous party, where the white people were served like pig's feet and hog maws, and the black people were served champagne and caviar. Yes. Like, she would just do things like that. Oh you my know? God. She, uh, I wish she was around yeah. today so I could follow her on Instagram. 
get. Yes. Could you imagine? You know, like I wish all of these people were, were around. Were, I know. God, all the people. I mean, speaking of speak, and like you said, and all of the the interesting ones, the most interesting ones were like you say they were like, you know, sexually fluid. Yes. They were um, culturally fluid. Right. Spoke different languages. Yes. Knew all kinds of yes. people. The type of thing. The type of way. You know, the way that we think we of ourselves now that we fancy ourselves. Yes, we, we, we think, think we're so like advanced and modern, but it's like people have been. Far more progressive. And even people who could barely afford to. That's when the you know, the vice squad can knock on your door and yeah. arrest you for homosexuality or arrest you for whatever yeah. they felt like <laughs> Even more openly now, and there was no Instagram or Facebook video to save you. This, yes, it, it was yes. what it was, you know. So yeah, so it was. Uh, she she threw all these great parties, but she was also a philanthropist. You know, she 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 um, she was an interesting person. There's going to be a movie about her. Do you know? Oh, there is. Oh, well, good. about Madame C.J. Not her. I'm sorry. But about her mother. About okay. Great yeah, Madame C.J. Walker. Yeah. Octavia Spencer is going to star. Oh, good. You know what? Producing. Can I say? Can I? So I just saw The Shape of Water. I love. I haven't o- seen it yet. It's fantastic. I love Guillermo del Toro. I love Octavia Spencer, but I was like, you are another cleaning lady in the sixth. Like, I just feel like I. I would love to see more roles about the type of people that you've been doing. I would, and I'm like, sure she would too. That's why she's producing this thing. Oh, she's, she's working with Elilia, with Elilia Bundles, who's a friend of mine actually. Oh wow! And she's the one who wrote the definitive biography on Madame C.J. Oh, Walker. Oh good. It's called on our. Oh, forgive me, Elilia, for forgetting the the name of it. Oh, I need to read that. You should because this definitive one. She's the only expert on her own great grandmother, yes. great great grandmother, I think, and she. Um, she was a producer at ABC, like in the, okay. in the 80s and 90s, whatever. She's a journalist. And so she's not just some yeah. family member like, oh, let me preserve legacy. She's a professional. Yes. And so she's been preserving this for a while. And she waited. And so I'm glad to see that she's working with Octavia Spencer oh, on this. Amazing. She's really Okay, I can't really wait great. for that. She's the one that gave me permission to use the picture in my book of, of Elilia. Hey, let me, this is a very tough question that I'm going to ask you only because I tried to answer it myself and it was too hard. But what would you say your favorite decade is? Like, are you 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s? Hmm. Well, before I answer it, let me, I just thought about something that I meant to say before yes. when you were, we were talking about Octavia Spencer. Yes. Octavia Spencer, like a lot of black actresses before her, like Teresa Harris, who was in my book, who was an actress in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, they all wanted to do other roles outside of playing maids. But sometimes you take the job. And Absolutely. So, and, and, so, and I don't and, fault them and, for yeah, that. Yeah, get in there. And so I understand where she's coming from. I know they got a lot of criticism for the help and the whole thing, which is a whole nother... <laughs> Let's not even go there. But yeah. I'm just being a, a little... As far as what... Um, Octavia Spencer and actresses, you know, of that caliber who don't have a, a, the look of a Halle Berry or a Gabrielle Union or whatever, they're not going to get these roles. We know what it is, whether it's a black film or a white film or whatever. So they take the job, they get they get in, and then they make moves like she's making with mm. this. You know, Harry, you can uh, be the boss and yeah, call the shots. Yeah, exactly. Our, um, Hattie McDaniel famously said, "I'd rather play a maid for seven hundred dollars a week than be a maid for seven dollars a week." Amen. And so there, I can understand. Getting getting in where you fit in and doing what you have to do, sure. and there's so much great work going on with with um, black actors finally um, being able and being more visible about producing other projects mm-hmm. and whether they're working with other artists or doing it themselves. And so is that's it, exciting. It's very, it's a very exciting time. I agree. Is it true that Lena Horne said, "I cannot play a slave"? 
Well, it's sort of not so much a slave, but her father didn't want her to play maids. Maids, so okay. In her MGM contract. Yeah. She was like the second black actress to get an MGM uh, contract. Nina okay. Mae McKinney was the first. Okay. And Lena Horne's father didn't, and Lena Horne herself. I mean, she didn't want to. She didn't want to play maids' roles. What kind of put? Which kind of put her. In a weird position because other black actors, according yeah, to this is Horn, the this is the forties, right? Yes, and yeah. and so well, yeah, thirties, forties, thirties, forties. So according yeah. according to to, to Miss Horan, a lot of the black actors in Hollywood kind of resented her because they were doing those jobs, and here right. she was coming to Hollywood, saying like, "Oh, I'm kind of above I'm, it." Yes, and they're right. like, "Who do you think you, you are? are?" You know, right? And so you're taking jobs from us, and you don't want to do these type of things. And so she kind of had a hard time of it. There's a great, uh, if you have time, there's a great interview. Um, with her on Dick Cavett's show. Oh, and like the on uh, YouTube. Yes. Okay, I'll link to it in the show notes so people can uh, check oh, it out it's too. Fascinating. I've linked it a couple times in Vintage Black Glamour, okay. like little clips. Okay. Of it. But if you listen to her talk about people, and she talks about Hattie McDaniel and Ethel Waters, oh. the ladies who you know they like diamonds and furs too, but they were playing washroom women. So yes, I mean it's really interesting to hear it from that perspective, and not in the time where you're trying to be politically correct or be, right. you know, you're just answering the question. So the, the the talk shows from the seventies and eighties are the best because people they were more are, honest. Yes, they really were. Yeah. Like they, they, there wasn't any pushback and any any uh, controversy where yeah. they had to kind of apologize and make a statement. I mean, granted, people do need to do that because a lot of messed up stuff going on. <laughs> so many little things in interviews in the seventies, eighties, and the sixties. Oh, people yeah. were getting so much trouble for now. I know. I mean, some things they should. Yes, but, but also <laughs> like I. James Baldwin is someone where you look at his interviews on talk shows and you're like, if there was this level of discourse now, I would, of course, watch. But because now it's like these pre-rehearsed, weird, it's like almost like actors are doing these like bits, like these comedy bits. And, and at that like, time, good. you're talking about a time in television where people expected a certain intelligence level. Not to be snobby, but they, they, they kind of expected that on television. They kind of, and it wasn't, quote unquote, people weren't looking to see, quote unquote, regular people all the time. Oh, let me be folksy and relate to them. Right. You can be whatever. If you were an intellectual, you were an intellectual. Right. You were on this talk show or that talk show. You did that. It wasn't about trying to appeal to the masses or have a, a statement. Not not that people didn't prepare and didn't have things ready to go, but it was more. It was new. It was mm-hmm. newer um, being you know beamed into people's homes all over the country at that time. Not so much worldwide yet, yeah. but it was still new. And so people, it was more of a you know they were trying out different things. They didn't know it worked. Mm-hmm. It, you know they were yeah. some of the first shows. So yes. it was kind of a interesting time. And so like a you're not going to see like another Dick Cavett show again. Probably not. Well, I think I think a lot of that is kind of where podcasting has come in. Right for those long form conversations where you can get deeper than what's yeah. the latest project you have. Especially, yeah, if you have someone interesting and they bring in interesting people, especially if they have a certain kind of inside baseball kind of knowledge about mm-hmm. it. Like I listen to a lot of screenwriting of yeah. podcasts, like I was telling you, and so you have these people who are screenwriters not yeah. today, not. 20 years yeah. ago they're screenwriters right now and they're talking to other screenwriters or TV writers or producers yeah. who are doing things now yep. and people who have like maybe 5 years experience maybe people who've had 30 years experience so you get a wide range of interesting people and some are stiffer than others but some people are very natural and interesting on these podcasts so I like to listen to them and so you know especially you know 
especially when I'm moving around, I yeah. when I'm walking down the street or driving or something. It's but don't a, you think it'd be so amazing to have a podcast that explored all of the backgrounds of the people that you cover in your books? Almost like a historical podcast. Yeah, I've been kind of thinking about it because it would I mean, be amazing. Every now and then, people ask me about that, but as you know, yes, I know. doing a podcast is a lot, a lot of work. work. <laughs> yes, no, I know, I know. So I, I have a lot of respect for it, and there's some other things I'm trying to, you know, get together now. So I don't want to. You don't want to go halfway. When you want to go all the I even, I mean, I have name for it and the whole thing, but I, you know, okay, the domains. But it, it's just a matter of getting of, of um, the right time for it and, and yes. doing it well. Yes. Well, we've talked a lot about your work. I'd love to know a little bit more about you and you know, kind of how you grew up and what it was like, where you were from, and. Well, I'm from New Jersey. Okay. I am from uh, South Jersey near Philadelphia. Okay. Uh, I was born in Newark, actually, as were both of my parents. But okay. when I was an infant, they moved to South Jersey. My father was uh, going to college down there. Okay. And so I grew up down there near Philadelphia. And so New Jersey, it's kind of weird. I'm not sure about other states, but we didn't have our own radio and TV per se. Yeah. You have it now on cable, but yep. in South Jersey, you listen to Philadelphia radio, you watch Philadelphia TV. And like okay. just like in North Jersey and New York, you're watching New York radio got it, and got television. It. Isn't Wendy yeah. Williams from Jersey? Yes, she is. She is. I forget where, but I know she's from New Jersey because I she love, says it Wendy. quite a bit. Yeah. I love Wendy. Okay, yeah. sorry. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I like Wendy Williams. And she's from um, she's from New Jersey. And I, it's funny, a lot of things she says, it's kind of familiar because she, you know, yeah, it, it's um, she's definitely from Jersey. Yeah, but um, I'm so you from, grew up in Jersey. What kind of school did you go to? Public schools, regular, random. So it was mixed: white kids, black kids. Yes, and it's interesting that you say that because I grew up um, elementary school. I grew up well in the seventies, late seventies. I was in the element, elementary school. Okay, all black school in Lawnside, New Jersey. Lawnside is I don't know about now. It's, I think it's still black, but it's an historic black town. Oh, interesting. And so, in fact, one of the architects, well, architects, one of the participants of the Harlem Renaissance, Jesse Fawcett, from yeah. that oh, era. Gosh. She's from really Lawnside, from from whatever the original name of Lawnside was. She's from that town. Yes. And so, but Lawnside is like you know, I grew up like in the seventies with like you know. Bob Marley on the radio and Marvin oh, Gaye and Rant. And I went to like an all black elementary school from kindergarten all the way up to third grade oh, wow. until we moved to a different town. And it was interesting because this was like, I remember specifically it was like 79, 80 or so. And so. What was that I, like I, in third grade to go from being around all black well, kids it, it to... Was, it was, I went home the first day uh, um, of, of the, the white the white and black school. I'm like, Mom, guess what? My teacher's white. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't like a big deal because, you know, it's interesting. That's why, you know, I don't have kids. But I tell you, however you raise your kids, it shows up. Because my mother never raised me to say white people are like this, black people are like right, this. Yeah. So I was never like, oh, my God. I was just like, oh, well, hey, white people. She has a different color skin. You're right. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and I knew, but, but growing up in the black, town that black bubble kind of it was kind mm-hmm. of great because yeah. there was a little store there was a man named Mr. Delaney who had like a little like a little store where he sold like pickles for 25 <laughs> cents seriously yeah. so I, I'm sure that's the last of that I don't think even in the 80s and 90s those right. type of stores existed mm-hmm. you know the the schools that I, I went to there was also like the high school so you had all the cool kids and everything and so to hear all of the teachers were um, Mrs. Crawford owned. It was a nursery school, quote unquote, but it was basically like a babysitting service. So you had right. like kindergarten, but up to like 
fourth, fifth, whatever grade, you know, parents drop mm-hmm. their kids off at the school. And so it, it was interesting being in that type of thing where there were like black business owners yeah. and black teachers where it, it was not unusual. It wasn't weird to see a black banker or a teacher or whatever. And then going to the, the white school was interesting, too, because. Well, oh, first of all, one thing I'll say about growing up, too, which is weird, which it doesn't happen anymore because I don't think kids play dolls and that type of thing or, or a TV show, acting out TV shows. You don't have to. But <laughs> Yeah, they're all on their iPads, which is just a whole different... I'm sure there's many other black women my age or non-white women that can tell you about playing Charlie's Angels as a kid. <laughs> and, and that's where color came in, whereas it wasn't always as apparent. But they, now this is an all-black environment. So the light-skinned girls, they were the ones that played Chris or Kelly. Right. The darker ones had, had to be Sabrina. So I was always Sabrina. You all, or, the, or, or Darker or the nerdier girls. So Got it. Always Sabrina. Because Sabrina wasn't like the sexy one. She was more smart and like more... Got it. Yeah. Can I tell you the millennial version of that? It's the Spice Girls. So oh. I was always Scary Spice. Default, right? I was like, well, I like posh and I like her style and I like little you black had dresses. To be scary spice, but you're black, you're scary spice. scary spice. That's it. Go in the corner over there and be scary spice. Yes, so I'll bet I'm familiar. 90% of, of black girls in my in my generation were, were Sabrina. Sabrina. <laughs> Unless they were really light and, and they were with other black kids. If you're with mm-hmm. white girls, then God, you were probably Sabrina. But the light skinned girls were Ke- uh, Chris and Kelly. And it wasn't like a, it was just a thing, but it wasn't like traumatizing, but right. it was just a thing. Yeah. You know, we had Wonder Woman at time, Linda, Linda Carter. Carter's Wonder Woman. Yes. So, I mean, you, you played Wonder Woman. And I wore, I wore glasses even at that time. So I'd take my glasses off and spin around like Wonder Woman. So, you know, that's the yeah. 70s and 80s you're mm-hmm. growing up with. There was an Asian kid in my class, and there was another black girl who, when I walked into class, she's smiling at me big, like, hi. Yeah, you you're know. like, hey, one more. But it was fine. It was, you know, it was, it was fine. And it was interesting, as I got to be a teenager, I was kind of disappointed in, in movies like The Breakfast Club and things like that, where they didn't have any black kids. Right. So I'm like, I'm in a school with black and white kids, so why are all these things all white? Why is everybody only right. white? Well, it's like, we're in 2018, Girls is off the air, but gir- when Girls was on, it was like an all, they're living in New York City, and everyone's white. Well, and people said the same thing about Sex in the City when it came out, yeah, because and I was, friends and I mean it's like all of it. What what well, universe is for friends? But you know, yeah, of course, of really, course. So when you idea. were kind of like experimenting with your beauty look and coming into your own personal style, was this what the nineties, late eighties? As an adult or a teenager? Well, I maybe I think it's like coming into your own is like the end of high school. Yeah, not much going on there. <laughs> I was. <laughs> I was more like the the nerdy one reading, you know. You were the a smart girl. I was a smart girl. Was not the the pretty girl. I, you know, sometimes my hair would be great, sometimes not. It was more. I wish. I'm so glad natural is a thing now. You have more beautiful hair because you have the. When I was growing, you had to have relaxed hair to be, you know, respectable to be pretty mm-hmm, to have a mm-hmm. nice look. I'll never forget when I was a kid and. From the time where I had like the little girl hair to the time I got my first relaxer and how many compliments I got and how oh, oh, your oh you're so, so pretty. pretty and I was yeah. I remember thinking okay but it was a thing yeah it was a thing so at that time this is more like around the ooh, really really um, aging myself but around the time of the Anita Baker haircut okay you know, Anita Baker had that shortcut before Halle Berry fa- mm-hmm. famously so it was around the time you would go to the hairdresser and ask for that that cut the Anita it was, Baker it's a nice simple thing and and of course you had a lot of the salt and pepper hair too yeah. with the angled the angled bobs. Yeah. And the whole yes. thing, the shave. You but know. your hair, your natural hair is very long. Okay, I mean, yeah, well, you this, must is, have, I, this is a little help here, but my own hair is as long as my extensions here. It's but, beautiful. Yeah, there, it, I've been wearing this for a while. I've been natural since 2009. Okay. So my own hair is um, is shoulder length like this hair, but 
it, it's um it's just a nice protective way to do I it know. because my hair yeah, it's so delicate. It's, it's so much work. People don't understand, so and that's why I do this too because it's not as much where I can just kind of do this I, blindfold it. I, so I call it hair vacations. I'm like I need a hair vacation. This is a hair vacation exactly. Because protective if I, have, is a if hair, I have to think about doing my hair and it takes too much time every single day and the wash day and the deep conditioning and the detangling. and this is not even good. This is not even like having my hair redone. I need to get it freshened. In fact, no, it so it's not good. even you know. It looks very but good. But they have. My own hair, it would be so much more work, and it wouldn't look as nice. Right. And so to have it like this, this this hair, this uh, hair from, I go to Comic Kinks in Brooklyn. Oh, uh, I always hear about this, like, natural. But it's so yeah. interesting. So you have braids in now. I always mm-hmm. forget that people don't have a visual. You have braids in now. Mm-hmm. But it looks like your own hair braided, right? That's like the idea. Like, that's why it costs so much money, because it's supposed right. to look like your own well, okay, hair. Well, OK, but they the quality hair that they get. Their prices are a little bit crazy. Would you mind explaining how much you paid? No. Ballpark? It's like, I think it's like $60. The hair is like, whenever I, I always have to buy four or five ounces to okay. And that's like $200, $240. Yep. That's just the hair alone. That's just the hair, yeah. And the then style, what the installation? And, the, and they've gone up on their price. When I, I was, I lived in Asia last year and I came back and the price oh, where in Asia up. were you living? I lived in Bangkok. I was living in Bangkok <gasps> and Seoul. I loved it. So, yeah, yeah, yeah it, was, it was great. But she, yeah, but they went, it was $325. I think it's like $375 now. Okay, but the, so the like thing is, you, you, you get per hair. It's $700 what, for a hairstyle. You get what you pay for, though. Because because that's true. That's why what you just said, I get all the time. People would say, oh, it looks like your hair. Well, like, it is my hair because the good thing about it is you can reuse it. So when they redo my hair, right. they can take this out, you know, wash it, you know, whatever, yeah. and, and just like my own hair and put it back okay. in. Okay. I think I want to go to them. You re- I need a hair re- vacation. <laughs> yeah. You re- you redo it. And yeah. so, yeah. Yeah. Anu Prestonia owns it. She's, she's a buddy of mine. I like oh, her. But cool. she, and she's been owning it. She's owned that salon for years. She used to do Terry McMillan's hair and Stevie oh, wow. Wonder, you know, in those days, Angel. Bassett when she first started doing the natural styles like a lot of the black celebrities that we saw in the 80s and 90s doing yes. the naturals they, she was one of the main ones they were going to oh amazing so she's been around she's been before natural was a thing yes, and everyone yes. was doing it she's yeah. she was the like original yep okay, okay. celebrities of the past that wore natural hair one of the people that I always look at is Cicely Tyson I'm about. To, I have a great video. I'm about to post oh, ooh. on Instagram soon. Wait, what's the video? What's the context? It's from uh, Young, Gifted, and Black from 1969. Lorraine Hansberry. Okay. And I found a little clip on YouTube, and so I've been. I was thinking about posting it tonight. I'll probably post it tomorrow. Okay. I'm still. It's, it's just me doing. Oh, but your still. social media is like so successful. Gabrielle Union follows you. I know yeah. Tracy Ellis Ross like repost. I mean, you're like uh, killing it on. Thank you, ladies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's been great. I mean, I'm always looking for. So I love you know pictures from the past of like really glamorous black women, but it's hard to find women with natural hair because they all straightened their hair back then for the most part. Oh. Or they were wearing wigs. Or they were wearing wigs. Mm-hmm. It's hard to find. Because, and that's what they, you know, that was how you ate in those days. It was just the context of society. So yeah. Even if they want, if you were, you were really an outlier if you were a, a black woman with Afro-textured hair and you were wearing your hair like Cicely Tyson. She was really distinctive. Yes. So p- women who had that type of look, you didn't see every day. Yeah. Besides Cicely Tyson, who really wore their hair natural? Famous, um, act- well, there was... Mm, more in the seventies, like okay. like once you got into the sixties and the seventies, and right. even then, you were still wearing. I mean, because you had the whole black is beautiful, black movement. is beautiful movement. Angela, yeah, Angela Davis, yeah, with uh, her with her iconic yes. afro, and so you had that look of uh, you know 
But even at that time, it's interesting because you had the blackest, beautiful, don't wear makeup, beautiful sister, and then they would see the brothers going with the women who did wear makeup and everything. And so you had that, you had that yes. context, just like it's, just like any other time. It's no, you it's know, no nothing different. is new. Right, nothing is new. The yeah. blackest, beautiful movement was that really started? Was that? Was that a beauty movement or was it a civil rights movement that translated into beauty? Kind of like that, a mixture. It was a social yeah. movement. Right. So it, was, it, it really kind of affected everything. I mean, you had like a lot of the civil rights victories from the 60s and mm-hmm. then you're coming into the 70s mm-hmm. when you're new to all of this. You know, yeah. my stepmother talks about... The, the time when she got her master's like in the early 70s where she says oh there were so many things open to black people at the time that were not open because yeah. people were especially white people who were you know liberal and wanted to show how open they were and they yeah. wanted to hire you or they yeah. had a scholarship for you and there were yes. things going on because, yeah. especially after Dr. King died and the, mm-hmm. the whole thing and so especially that that sweet spot between 68 and 71-ish say yes I mean not that uh, there weren't other things going on obviously there's all, they're never not things going on, right. but there there was a, a time where is this black is beautiful, whereas black women, black men too, but especially black women who were really beholden as far as his makeup and trying to look, you know, a certain way, not just prettier, but look like a different race. You look, whiter. Look whiter. Yes. You know, to have straighter hair, yes. to have lighter skin. Yes. You, they, they, I mean, the, the skin, the, the, um, the skin bleaching ads were really when uh, did those stop? Until I'd say the early seventies, they they stopped. Wow, and, and, and really, I didn't realize that the, they actually were... they ne- they still have them, but they just changed the wording of it. So right. they were they were blatant. And if you look at some of the early ad the ads from the sixties and the seventies, the ads would say, "Look lighter, get a date." It was, <sighs> it was that blatant. No, it, it was hilarious. I don't put those on vintage black glamour typically because I don't want that conversation on the page. Right, you get trolls, you get people who yeah. aren't interested in. In, in it, or, or just people who just want to complain and rant about it, and, and your I, content's very uplifting, and it like I feel like and it's I don't, very and affirming. I'm like, girl, I don't need a speech about that. I'm a forty-something black woman, <laughs> dark skin. Yes. I know all about it. Yes. probably before you had an idea of it. So that's why I purposely, I like to you know put the spinach in the peaches, as I say. I like yeah. to have uplifting content. Mm-hmm. Things not I don't I never post like someone so died on this day. Because right. I just go, you know, not we all know that Marvin Gaye is dead, but I'm, I post on his birthday, not yes, on his Yes, to day. celebrate. Yes, I celebrate their life. I don't go about, oh, they died today or they did this. I just mm-hmm. try to have an interesting, I wanted, or give you a little tidbit about them that you've never heard before. Yes, that's, and that's why I love I wanna, what you, you do. Do you know it, Lena Horne's Bergdorf story? No, tell me. Oh, well, she was a big fan of Bergdorf, okay. Goodman, according to her daughter. The reason, because at the time, in the early 40s, the Savoy was across the street from Bergdorf at the time. And, you know, Miss Horn was a singer, an actress, the whole thing, but she had these managers who were basically taking all her money. They were all, like, two managers taking 20% each, seriously, like something crazy like that. Okay. So she had no money. She was making money, but she didn't have any money. She didn't have money. any money, right. So she, was, she needed gowns for her performances. And, of course, you know, you're Lena Horn. She has this image, but, you know, when you have the image and no money... I know all about that. But but she, you know, she was kind of in a tough spot. Right. And so she went across the street to Bergdorf Goodman with her friend, um, Nuffy Calloway, who was Cap Calloway's wife. Oh. And I think his girlfriend at the time, maybe. You'll know real when you get it. It will say eBay authenticity guarantee and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like a gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, 
eBay gets it. They're making sure the things that you love are checked by experts, not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. But his wife of 50 years eventually and they went shopping and they were shopping for dresses and you know there were so many pretty things that she liked and but she just couldn't afford it and so after a while you know you know how you just do all the crazy math in your head and just doesn't add up And and she's like you know what and the sales lady said wait a second and she went in the back and a few minutes later she came back with andrew goodman like Goodman of, of Bergdorf Goodman. Goodman, yes, the guy, yeah. And he said, "Oh, Miss Horn, you know, we love love you. You know, so why don't you just take take your gowns, just put it on car, um, credit, and oh, you know, wow. just take what you need, and we'll just work something out." Wow. And she was a loyal customer from that point after that point on. Is there a particular decade that you find yourself most drawn to? Like for me, it's the twenties. Oh. I love the twenties, jazz age, Harlem Renaissance, Josephine Baker, obviously. Yeah, I have to say, not really. People ask me that sometimes, and I think it's because I'm drawing the different people, people. in the different periods. Okay. And so I like some of the Harlem Renaissance people. I mean, who doesn't want to be in the Harlem Renaissance? Exactly. And like, then the real Harlem Renaissance, yes. where you're going to the rent parties, where exactly. you're going to the gay clubs, where you're going yes. to you, your white friend get you into the white, your rich white friend get you into the white clubs, <laughs> right. so the police won't carry you out. Right, you know, right. You're going to uh, it, just all you know the poetry readings, or you're going to exactly. the classical, whatever you're doing, you're going to the Broadway show yeah uh you're going to see well earlier in the 20s you're going to see shuffle along but Mm -hmm. uh so i'll you know that i mean that sweet spot okay so let me ask you a different way Mm -hmm. if i if i name a decade can you tell me who your favorite most interesting person is from that decade probably okay 20s well josephine baker okay obviously 30s hmm maybe freddie washington who's freddie washington Freddie Washington, yeah, I don't great know. I don't actress know and activist. Okay. Yeah, she is, you know, the the, the short, you know, the, the soundbite on her is that she famously refused to pass for white in Hollywood. Oh, but she was light-skinned, but she could have, and she refused. Yes, ah. she was in Imitation of Life um, in, in oh, the 30s. Oh, okay. Yes. yes, okay, I know her. Yeah, but she, yeah, of course, and she was, um, and a lot of these great black soundies, you yeah. know, there's a cute one I posted on Vintage Black Glamour, she did with Cab Calloway, she did some films with Paul Robeson. Okay. She was so light that they would put this for ridiculous darker makeup to on make her. her look black yeah and she did not she looked like a light woman with makeup on her that Kinda. was too dark it was it looks absurd i don't post it that's another thing i don't post because i don't want people they don't know what they're talking yeah, about the whole black on. face yeah, yeah. well who was it that played um nina simone zoe saldina and that looked and i watched the film because i love nina simone but i was like 
no shade to Zoe. It just looked off. Do you know what I mean? Like I know exactly what you mean. I'm going to refrain from commenting. Yes, on that okay. We can be Okay, but uh, but, but uh, you know, I really, you know, the way she looked in in that movie. Yeah. that's how they made Freddie Washington yes, look yeah. in the 30s. It's, it's unnecessary. Un- it's uncanny valley, isn't that what they call it? Like when you're like, this isn't quite right, but like Absurd. I can't put my finger on it. But you know, more than that, you know, Freddie Washington. She was also an activist. She was a um, one of the founders of I think it was called the Negro Actors Guild. Okay, so one of the first, you oh, know, wow. one, like one of the first for early, black people. Essentially, well, That's I'll tell you, cool. there was actually a SAG for black people before that. That's a whole nother one, okay. but but uh, you know, I have like the the Black History Encyclopedia. Yeah, it'll go on, but but that one, um, the Negro Actors Guild, like Duke Ellington and Ethel Waters, were on the board, and they were basically they formed to fight against stereotypical images in film and on stage. Wow. And this was like in the 30s. And she was also a theater critic for a paper called The People's Voice. Oh, of course, yeah. Which was founded by Adam Clayton Powell. Yes. Who was her brother-in-law at the time. Wow. But yeah, he was married to her sister, uh, Isabel. But um, That's crazy. She was an interesting, fascinating lady. I've got to like, yes. learn about her. Oh, yeah. Okay. She's in the book. She's You have my book. She's, yes. in, she's in the book. She has the armband on her. Uh, um, she's wearing a suit, and she has an anti-lynching armband oh, on her arm. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, Freddie Washington was an interesting lady who would have gotten a lot more work, obviously, like a, well, I'd say a decade or so later. I'm, it, it, I, I was going to say that, but then, you know, there was another actress who I posted today, the latest post on Vintage Black Glamour is mm-hmm. a, a Shakespeare clip from 73 with Rosalind Cash um, and an actress uh, named uh, Ellen Holly. And many people may be more familiar with Rosalind Cash, who we know, some people know her as late as the soap operas like General Hospital and different things that she was on. She was in uh, this great movie in the 80s, early 80s, called Sister, Sister with Diane Carroll and Irene Cara. But Ellen Holly um, wrote a, a book called One Life, the Autobiography of an African-American Actress, detailing her life as an actress. In the early 70s, she made, well, late 60s, early 70s, she made history on TV because her character in a soap opera, One Life to Live, uh, past is white, like all she. They brought the character on, and everyone was thinking she was white, and it was a, it made big news because when they finally revealed oh. that she was black, you know, oh, because wow. she is Ellen. Now it's, I'm you know looking at her so much. To me, I know Ellen Holly is, is black, so she she looks black yeah. to me. Okay, but a lot of people look at her. And say, is that Catherine Deneuve? It's like no, that's no. Uh, I know it's so yeah. weird to me that how people can't tell. Like, um, who is this woman who made all the headlines? Cause she pretended to be black. Why can't I remember her name? Rachel Dole is all. Oh, I look at pictures of her and I'm like, you are cl- the braids, the tan, it doesn't, like, you were clearly a Who white woman. Who were you fooling? Yeah. Like, you were a white woman. There's, like, really not even. And even in our context today, like, it's, you know, people today that we understand to be biracial, multiracial, mm-hmm. whatever, in the 20s or the 30s, they could conceivably pass as. Right. as white or something else because right. people weren't as used to seeing right. people in different... Their eyes weren't trained. Yeah, not yeah. as trained white and black people. Well, yes. black people more so we could usually tell because we know there's always someone in our family. Uh, Everyone has a blue-eyed cousin or a exactly. cousin. So that's, you know... There's always one cousin that people are like, oh, who are they? You know, my own right. sister is is light skinned, and people are like, is that your sister? I'm like, yeah, yeah, my brother's much lighter than she, I am, and it's black like it's not, and she's clearly a... black. So why why is it that hard What's... to believe that she's my sister? I know, you know. So it's weird. People have these weird ideas now. So back then, you can get yeah. away with basically anything. If you're right. Mariah Carey in 1920, you could just be a white woman. Interesting. What do you think it is about women of the past and men of the past that people could learn from today? Like in terms of just like the style and elegance and glamour and the way that people carried themselves, because I think a lot of that is getting lost. You people... know, I, I think back then they had to be even no matter what their means were, they had to be more inventive. 
a lot mm-hmm. of things just weren't as available, readily available to them. So you had, and you know, and also they were kind of restricted in some ways, more restricted by societal pressures and whatever, unless they were, tr- you know, clearly trying to be an outlier or something. Otherwise, they had to just, they had to think about it more, I think, to be more more interesting and to put the way they put themselves together. You can follow along in the 50s and wear the poodle skirt or wear whatever everyone right. else is wearing and look like everyone else. Mm-hmm. Or you could... You know, you could wear a shinier skirt. You can do something to make yourself stand out, but it right. really depended in, in uh, quite often on your station in life, on the circles that you ran in, or right. what you were trying to do. If you were a school teacher, right. you know, if you were, or if you were a school teacher, but you really wanted to be an actress, maybe you are going to be wearing that sweater that none of the other girls wear, right? And that was more of a big deal in 1948 than it would be in 2018, right? Right. So yeah, it's, yeah they had to be more inventive. They didn't have as as much at their disposal as we do, no matter what our means are, even whether you're wealthy but don't you or think poor. That, don't you think, I kind of believe that having less gives you better style. It's almost like when you have too many options, your style just I don't becomes... Know about that. I think it's, it's a, you know, some people have that thing. It's true. Not, it's not even, I don't, I don't know that being It's not less, more or less, it's just yes. like some people just have style. Yeah, some people, whether they have $5 or $5 million, they're yeah. going to be fab. They can do it. Mm-hmm. I can't do it on $5. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, it's a, there are some people you just need to have certain basic things, and things used to be cheaper. So even to pull it together, you have to be more inventive right. and more clear. Right. It's good to have certain basics, mm-hmm. um, to have certain things. You know, to have the simple black dress, to have the slacks, to have the crisp white shirt, the little right. things that you can do right. that you think about when you're younger. You're coming into your own style, and you're thinking about different things. Right. But if you're in, in the previous decades, they had it. They operated under a smaller box. They had they had more mm-hmm. restrictions than, than we did. So the ones that that really stood out to us that were more interesting, they just kind of did things. They were in that box, sort of, but they also kind of, you know, maybe their, you know, the pocket, the yes, pocket had a little bit of was, flourish, had a flourish. The yeah, tie was interesting. The fabric, yes, um, they they just did things along those lines. Yes. I think, yeah. yes, give me forties, fifties, sixties, seventies. I mean, I guess Lena Horne give you come yes. to the forties. Okay. Lena Horne and um, Catherine Dunham. Oh, I don't know Cap- her. Catherine Dunham is the great, the dance legend. Oh, okay. Yes, 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 yes okay. Yeah. yeah, so she came along, you know, she, in Stormy Weather, you know, everyone knows Lena Horne pinned to the pillar singing Stormy Weather. Yes. And right after that, in that same dance number is Catherine Dunham and her troupe. Yes. Doing this fabulous dance. And she, um, she did, she founded a company called, I think it's called Ballet Negra. I just posted about her the other day as well. Yeah. Um, she founded, of course, the, her, the Catherine Dunham Dance Company and one of her early charges was Eartha Kitt. Oh. And so there's a great picture I have of Eartha Kitt from like 1948 or so when she was a, a young Dunham dancer. Uh, she lived in Harlem and she would take classes there and her first film appearance was as a Dunham dancer in this movie called Cairo I think from like uh, the late 40s oh, 47 I've heard 48. of that movie so yeah you um she at that time you you, you know you have an anthropology PhD and you're <laughs> you know you go to Jamaica and Haiti and learn their dances and bring them back to America and incorporate you know these these black, these African, these Caribbean dances into classical ballet and the, the so-called respectable ones that people, you know, oh, automatically respect and, and look at as as quality, as the the, the top tier. Yes. It's kind of like black musicians, you know, that know c- classical music as in white classical traditions. Right. and then they take and it. And then they go to mm-hmm. Morocco or Africa. Right, or, right, Yeah, right. so you have that. Right. So we, we've always had people like that. Of course. People are surprised to learn that Basquiat was classically trained in art 
he's like, I can, I can do the you know, Renaissance painting style. I just It's interesting you say that because just like they're surprised that Basquiat was classically trained, they're surprised that athletes who work, they think, oh, you have it natural. You're, oh, you're, yeah. It's very athletes, offensive. No, athletes have to work their ass off. <laughs> That's why they're on your television because there, there are a hundred other guys that mm-hmm. could, and women or whatever, that could... Uh, that wish they can do that, whatever. Yeah. But it, it's the work that they put in. Absolutely, that they, you know, that blood, the blood, sweat, and tears. Yeah, musicians that are classically trained. R- Roberta Flack, you know, she people. That, oh, if you hear them, if you hear pop radio or whatever, and they're surprised. You know, uh, Bernadette Stannis, Delma on Good Time. She went to Juilliard. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So I mean, people don't. You know, you, people have this idea. They see that you in this one thing. Oh, you know, you must yes. be uh, born with it. Did you? Have you been? I'm sure the answer is yes. Have you been to the African American Museum in DC? Yes. The minute. I came oh. back from Asia. I, I went there. I, I booked my ticket. I was in Korea and I went online yeah. and made sure I got a ticket because I heard they were selling out. Yeah, so, isn't it incredible? It's amazing. I had to go back because yeah, I want to go back too. I didn't see the mothership. Um, I had you know Parliament Funkadelic. The oh yeah, I had and so I don't know because you're in there for. So Did long. you start at the bottom and go up? I did. Well, we should explain for people also that don't know. It's almost like a chronological museum experience. So it starts with slavery mm-hmm. and then kind of goes through slavery, reconstruction, civil rights era, and then like the top, top floor is kind of current day, like music, culture, fashion, stuff like exactly. that. But yeah, so and you, I gave that to sure. I, I went through the, and I'm glad I, I, I started that me way. Me too. Because when I go back, I'll kind of start in the middle more mm. and, you know, like the 20th century basically and, and kind of yeah. go up so I can take in more because I also didn't see Prince's thing and I'm a, a Prince oh, girl and yeah. so I'm like, how did I, you know, but I didn't have time because I, yeah. had, to get, I had to get my train. Oh my back gosh, to we, I, I, we got there at 9 a.m. Like as soon as the doors opened, we got there and they it closed and we had just done everything. I mean, it's like, a, it's a real experience. Yeah, you have to, you can't do it once. You yeah. have to go back at, at least twice. I mean, someone like me, I have to go like three times, I'm sure, <laughs> yeah. but um, to really take it in because I like to, I'll go through everything. I'll read I read the captions, you know. Oh yeah. I was happy to see, you know, obviously Harry Tubman's shawl or oh, Ida Wells. I think they had teacups from her or something. You know, a lot of the club women, the ladies from yeah. the, the late nineteenth century and the early twentieth that I talk about in the in the early chapter of Vintage Black Glamour. Uh, so I wanted to um you the thing about history is that instead of that's why I like things like drunk history. Yes. Comedy Central. Yes. Because it brings history to the people, it, it, yep. it's, it's interesting, and it's it, it. However, however, you need to take it in, even if that's the first way you learn about it. Maybe you'll go look it up and learn yes, more. and do some more research on yeah. your own. Yeah. So I like you know I like making history accessible. accessible. To yes. People. The thing that I also yeah. found so interesting was seeing there were a lot of white people at the museum, obviously, obviously. and families with young kids like six years old seven years old and I you know we talked about how we can't like look at gory stuff look all of the lynching sections like I was literally like covering I mean I'm aware of lynching it's horrible I just don't want to see those images because I find them to be just too graphic and disturbing and I've seen enough of it I don't need to take it in all the time to be reminded of it exactly and and this even before the internet and everything when I would read a lot and um, as a teenager and as a young adult and everything, sometimes they'd have those pictures in the book. Yeah, and you're like, and so you or, or you know, now it's like you can go on. Now the kids are going online, right? And and obviously. Th- they're not going in books like we were, but I, I've, I've seen enough of it. I don't need to keep looking at right. lynching pictures right. to be aware of what it what it is. What, what so I understand, happening? but some people do need to see it. We yes, so don't, I'm not saying so, you know, it needs to be suppressed or anything, right. obviously. But yeah, there was something just to me so powerful about watching these young white kids going through it with their families because they were asking so many questions. Like I remember in the first bottom part, 
we were with this family and the boy must have been like seven, eight years old. And he kept asking his parents, like, I, why did they do this to these people? Why did mom, exactly. why did they do this? And she's like, well, it was for money. And he's like, but how, how could they be okay with this? It's so sick. Like, you know, but I felt like it was such a... I hope he grow, grows up and runs a business or runs for office or something. Yeah, I mean, but but you could just, you know, his naivete, he was just like, I don't understand why this ever happened. And I thought, good for the parents for not feeling like, oh, it's too much, he's too young, he can't see this. I think it's so important for kids of all races yeah. to understand. Exactly. And you said, you know, you, white people were there. Of course white people were there. White people have always been interested in, in all kinds of things about us from... Right. Again, they're... they're it's been kept from them quite a bit, yes. you know. So in some in yeah. some instances, yeah, they'll go if they're if you're a Carl mm-hmm. Van Mechten, you're going to go with your black friends to the party or in Harlem or whatever. Yeah. A lot of that, you know, little snippets like that. Yeah. There are some white people, obviously, who are not interested at all, and then there are all white people that are interested in just about anything. It's like, oh, okay, hey, let's let's check right. this out. They're not they don't right. have a preconceived right. notion right. of it. And if you're not training your, just like I said earlier, how my mother didn't say, oh, you know, Polish people are like this or right. Jewish people are like if you don't. Train Train your kids to have that mindset. They're not going to go. So anytime, if a kid is is all of a sudden coming up with the N word, they heard that from somewhere. Right. Yes. It's not. You know, it's, it's not, learned. Yeah. They may. Did they learn it online or did they learn it from their their kitchen over breakfast? You know, I, I tell. I always tell the the quick story when I was um, when I came to New York initially. I was a an editorialist editorial assistant at Woman's Day magazine. Okay. And there was a woman. These. You know, this is really random, but. I was having a conversation with this woman and she was talking about, oh, you know how Jewish people are. It's a white woman. And so I'm like, and I said to her, how do you know she's Jewish? She was talking about a particular woman. And she's, well, you know her name, duh. And I'm thinking to myself, Ooh. and I'm maybe 21 or 20 years old. And I didn't, at that time now, of course, I would know a name like Rosenstein or whatever. Like right, certain right. things I would obviously guess. Right. But I had no I had no idea. But did, I You did weren't not screening know. people that way. I right. was not screening people. And no, I didn't know. And, right. and, and I didn't have anything snarky. And I was not like, look, I did not have a problem with this woman because she was Jewish or anything else. Right. So for her to say all that, so I'm thinking, what are, you, what are you saying about me, me right. when I'm not there? Because I had no idea about this, that this was a thing. Right. And actually, right. asked my friend, and it was like a dumb question, quote unquote, dumb question to ask, you know, the type of yeah. thing you. But I mean, I didn't know. So if I didn't know, because if I was not raised like that, like, oh, right. Jewish people or Polish people or, or right. whatever. Now, you're raised, obviously, because racism and systemic racism, all that is a thing. It's mm-hmm. affected whether people are, whether people are nice or not, they're benefiting from it. Some, you know, w- white people of any stripe, but it's like, if you're not training your kid to have these specific things, it's not coming out. So the kid in the museum, the white kid that's going, it, it doesn't make good. It, if, yes. it, if it's not making yes. sense to them, you're doing that's a great good. job. Yes, dad. exactly. It made, or it dad actually, and dad or mom and yes. mom, whatever. No, it was, it was a really, it was, it was <laughs> honestly like one of, it was, it's one of the things that I remember most about the museum experience, just his utter confusion and like, and he, I remember even he asked upstairs, so it's still going on? It's still, it's still happening? They're still yes, doing Tommy, this? Yes, Tommy, it's still it's going like, on. Yes, like, this is just, this is, this is, and this is American history. It's not even black history. American history. It's worldwide history. Well, it's yes. global history. It's global history. And once mm-hmm. I worked in print magazines for the longest time, like I said, I was- You were at GQ? Yeah, I was at GQ. I was an assistant editor at GQ in the late 90s. I was an assistant editor for grooming and fitness, not beauty. <laughs> 
you know, <laughs> so interesting. So yeah, that's that's why it's so fascinating to see all this stuff now. I love I seeing all the. There's so many black beauty and fashion editors now that just was not. There were like three of us back then. I know, and there was like one. There was like Mickey Taylor at Essence, who was like the big yes. honcho at Essence, and then there was even like in the late. There, there would be an editor here and there. There was um, current. There was just so few. So few. And now there's so many on Instagram. I'm like, who is this girl? Yes. Oh my god! I'm just I like know. just like on Instagram. I'm like, oh my god! Yes, yes. I mean, yes, it's about yes. time. They were always there, though. They were all there. I mean, I'm glad to see these girls now. I mean, not to say girls, girls, because I know. I mean, I'm talking about girls your age, probably, or like 30s or whatever. Mm-hmm. But man, in the late 90s, even, there was just not, you know, I would be the only black editor at these beauty lunches or whatever, yeah. you know, it, or, or or sometimes you see another one. It was always like they would they say, oh, you from Essence? You know, they all, you know, <laughs> because, you know, generally it would be, unless right. they already knew Mickey. Right, it, right. That's like a Viacom. I'd be like, oh, do you work at BET? And I was like, no, yeah. I'm just black. I don't and, work and at BET. And I BET. would get what I would call the, oh, you're black face. You know, they would come, to edit, they would have... I don't know what they do now because I'm old now, I guess, apparently. But, you know, they would have what you call desk sides, whereas the oh, PR... Oh, yeah. No, that's... Oh, that still happens. I interviewed, I've interviewed beauty editors and yeah. they told me about it. Yeah. Yeah. They, they um, The PR folks would come and visit you at your desk or whatever with their products or brand or whatever whatever yeah. it is. And they would either either have lunch with them or they'd come to your desk, literally. And I would go out to to um, the reception at many times and greet someone. They, they would, would be go, very surprised. Like, Hi. oh. Because at GQ, you're not expecting a black woman. It's a no, female. not at all. Yeah, and, and and a like you know, and I was not you know, I was just I very much looked like a like the black woman writer that I am. I was not, <laughs> I was not like I am fashion plate, you know, even at GQ. So it was so they were like, oh okay, and it was it was interesting, but but yeah, I don't know. That was a fun time at GQ. It was really interesting. Yeah. But um, but yeah, that beauty. I mean, I I, I worked there, and I was at, at Women's Day, and I lost my train of thought. I was saying something else while coming. Um, the black editors. Yes. There were there were just so few. The only time you really saw them were like newspaper reporters, like um at that time, or some of the or Matt, uh, here and there. My friend Denine um, was an editor at Parenting okay. Magazine. I think. When did Andre Leon Talley kind of come on the scene? Well, he came on like in the late seventies, early eighties. Okay. He, um, he was initially. I think he wrote for Ebony and different things at first, but also he worked with. He started out. He got his start in high fashion that we know now with Diana Vreeland. Yes. And so when he, oh, when he came, she, she's she, my other coffee table like goddess icon like I just think she's so yeah, fabulous exactly. he started out working with, with her and I know he came along um, I know he did some work with um, Eunice Johnson that's what I'm saying okay. with Ebony yes right? yeah but he um he when he by the time he got to Vogue and everything I think that was around the 80s or so but again the only one well the only one that everyone kind of knows knew. always some here and there that's why it's so great to see Edward and for, um, at, at British uh, Vogue yes. I love I know. all of the stuff that's going on, on there because you know as a teenager I'm growing up and I'm looking at all the black models at that time like I was well the ones that, People still know Iman and Beverly Johnson, and there were models at the time like Kirsty Bowser and Alva Chen, and you know Sherry Belafonte was even a model then. Harry Belafonte's daughter, she oh, was on really? a few covers of Vogue. There is a, a book, Barbara Summers, the late great Barbara Summers, really nice lady. Um, she passed a few years ago. I'm glad I got a chance to meet her. She wrote like the, the definitive book on black models. Oh, I'll have to um, see that too. Yeah, yeah. And so you have to get that book. I think the one, I think it's called Black and Beautiful. They changed the name of it. The original name was something else, but Naomi Campbell's on the uh, cover. Cover, of it. yeah. Uh, yeah, but it was. I think she put it out like about a decade ago now. But she was a model herself in like the 70s and 80s. Yeah. She was a Ford model for years, and so she knew all the models. Oh, all that's so the, funny. Um, I was I was signed to Ford as a teenager and oh, quit my career at you know the old age of 18 years old <laughs> well everyone can't say that so that's yes. fabulous so I have, I have two final questions for you the first question is 
I'm sure there are a lot of people listening that have passions or things they're interested in, just as you were interested in history. And you found a way to create a lane for yourself where this is now what you do. And it's the focus of your life. And I'm sure it's very fulfilling, right? To be able to tell these stories and to share this information with people. If you are a young person and you know that you're passionate about something, but you don't necessarily see like a clear way of making money doing it, or you just don't even know how to start, what advice would you give them in terms of just like beginning and having the conviction to know that you can do it? Hmm. It's interesting because the money thing, it really depends on the person because it's always not that, yes, it's true that money is not everything, but it's helpful. So, <laughs> I, so I, I'm not saying that you need to, um, you need money to pursue your dreams. You can have money and not do it well and not, not do it right or not have, go about, go about mm-hmm. it the right way. You can have all the resources in the world and just not have the right thing. So if you know you're interested in something or whatever, learn about it. Just do all the research mm. that you can. Like, you know, listen. Even people that, you, that may or may not appeal to you. Mm. Whether And now there's so many resources now. There's podcasts now. There's yep. obviously websites and articles. If you, you don't have to, like, you know, drag yourself to the library <laughs> like I did. The um, Schomburg, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, the Schomburg, or, or even as a teenager, my um, my local library as a kid, and I would read books there or go through, you know, I would read biographies of uh, Lauren Bacall and Diane Carroll and things yes, like that. Yes. And so there, you have so many resources at your hand. If you know you like fashion design, look at Vogue's site. I think Vogue has some of their archives online. Mm-hmm. You know, look at some of that. If you, if, a, if you read an article and someone you admire mentions something or they mention a person you've never heard of, look that person up. Yes, that's great you know, advice. That, yeah, look... look that's what I would do when I would read books like I would I love my the reason I'm a writer is because of Maya Angelou as a mm. kid reading her books and I, I I read her books like I think I, I think I can do this I would like to to write yes and you know I like Judy Bloom as well but Maya Angelou was really the one that really spoke yes. to me so reading her books and then she would mention someone I'd never heard of, I would look them up. Yes. And at that time, I had to go into the card catalog people, you know, into the, <laughs> go to the right. physical library. I couldn't just whip out my phone and type their name right. in. Now you can. So look up these people. If you haven't heard of them, or if you see someone who's famous and they're being honored, if you're watching the Grammys and you see Patti LuPone and you finally realize right. they're not talking about Patti LaBelle. <laughs> you're like, oh, who is look this person? Look her up. Right, yes. Look, look these people up, you know. Pay attention. If you know you like architecture, if you know you know you like wine there's so many it's all there's an embarrassment of riches now yes. so you can't don't go too far don't get too scatterbrained where you're unfocused and you know so i would just say kind of hone in look up people look up it's great you advice know. yeah you know yeah i mean I, I feel like i kind of studied podcasts as a listener for a while before i that's you know, the best way to do it yeah. launched my own Okay, last question, and I'm interested to know your opinion just as kind of a historian and someone who looks at history. How do you think that this time, this crazy Trump-era time that we're living in, from the perspective of not just black history, but like, how do you think we'll look back at this time like 50 years from now? Do you think it will be seen as a time of like resistance and turmoil, kind of like how the late 60s was? As long as we have the media out there that's available, as long as it's not suppressed, you know, there's a lot of... uh, A lot could happen in 50 years. Yeah, there's a lot of, you know, independent media and local media being bought up by 
Elena, these crazy conglomerates uh, that are have exactly, right-wing agendas. It's scary. Exactly. They're just buying up all these media sources. So that's why it's really important for people to be aware of where they're getting their information from and yes. be aware of who owns that information, whether they're, you know, whatever their background is. You know, yeah. look at all of it, yeah. but make sure it's available. So as long as the information is available, yes, absolutely. You can't help but see the resistance. You, you need to see both sides of it and see, or, or see all sides of it, right? right. You see, you know, and from an American perspective, from a global perspective. Um, yeah, it really depends on the information that's available because there's so much history now that people say, oh, I didn't know that. Whether it's something light that I post on Vintage Black Glamour and people say, oh, I've never heard of this person. Right. Of course you didn't hear about it because they didn't put her in Life magazine. <laughs> right. You know, and Ebony magazine didn't come along until like 1945. And they could only put, Ebony was just one magazine. Right. So you could only, is one issue you can only do but so much in so many years, right. obviously. Right. So there were a lot of people that were famous for decades but forgotten. Yes, And so you have to, it really depends on the media and the history that's available, the library archives, you know. Yes. Just make sure it's all, as long as it, but you know what, I think a lot of it, I think, I think we'll be in good shape in 50 years because a lot of things are digitized. Yes. So whatever your agenda is, there are a lot of people saving it there and now. I think it may be the Committee to Protect Journalists, something I just read recently where they're starting to archive um, a lot of um, digital sources that have been, have been, um, in danger of being bought up by these sources that we were saying, like a Gawker and the other ones, oh, wow. buying up their archives so they, they can't, so these people can't buy these archives and erase it. There's enough people around the world that have had access now already who are already recording things, and, and yes. we're, we're much better now at recording. Back then in the 20s, 30s, 40s, whether you're white, black, or whatever, everyone wasn't always thinking in terms of what people are going to read 50 years from now. Right. Yes. You know, right. in some cases, they would have hidden some things. Think about yes. It. <laughs> true. You know? That's very so, true. Yeah. I think there are a lot of films that need to be made about the people that you write about that just haven't been made. And I think about how many kind of mainstream slash white people there are films about and it can be like the smallest like not I don't want to say insignificant everyone's story is significant but like when I think about like we were talking about Danielle Luna the first black supermodel fascinating life she was hanging out with like Fellini and she was doing all these crazy types of drugs and like I mean her life just sounds so fascinating to me and I read about her life and I'm like I can't believe there's not a movie about this woman or there's so many people that think, yeah and it's funny because the thing is there's not a movie about it because First of all, movies are always so hard to make. But when you're um, when you're not the one telling the story, if you don't have the resources now, you can pull out your iPhone and tell a story. You can, you know, right. I can put out, you know, vintage black glamour and tell yeah. a story about some. I love the Instagram stories you're doing now. Everyone should, if oh, everyone okay. listening, should I'm trying go to do follow. something different. With no, Insta- it's great with Instagrams because people Instagram stories is so like you know so like glossy now. Everyone is the you know. So instead of just throwing a picture up, I'm trying to find it, either an interesting clip. It's hard no, to find it's because great. it's not, it's vintage black glamour. I don't own these things. So like a lot of people, I'm getting them from YouTube or wherever. Yeah. So I want, and, and you only have like 10, 12 seconds, yeah, it's right? Yeah, a very short amount of time. As far as, yeah, yeah. So I'm trying to think of the interesting ways to put things in Instagram stories that I don't have, that I, that I maybe can't put on the timeline because not enough time right. and to make it interesting and to keep people's interest so mm-hmm. you want to do as much I know Instagram has changed their algorithm so much oh, and I so know. Yeah. you have to people will see a post the next day or 12 yes. hours later oh my god sometimes I, I see stuff from like 5 days ago I'm like why am I seeing this now why and sometimes I, I look specifically for a person just so I can look at their timeline because I've missed it because you've missed it yeah of course yeah, of course so it's so yeah we talked about the goddesses Eartha, Josephine Lena and Dorothy Dandridge mm-hmm. Who do you think 
50 years from now, people will say are the goddesses of now? Oprah. Okay, interesting. Yeah, because oh, because all around. Mm-hmm. Oprah's, I mean, the Oprah's, way... Oprah's, I mean, everything she's like. And, like, and there's enough media to... I mean, if I had, there was an Oprah from 100 years ago, she, her picture would be in my book. I just yes. couldn't get a good, clear picture of Madam C.J. Walker, say. Right, right. But, you know, there okay. I do have Rose Morgan in my book, who um, was the beauty entrepreneur. She's the one who's doing my aunt's hair in the book. Oh. She did all the celebrities, Lena Horne, all the big celebrities okay. went to her salon okay. in Harlem. She was like the Nikki Nelms of, of that she time. She was the celebrity hair. She's yes. a millionaire beauty entrepreneur yes, yes. yeah and so and she was like her second oh she was joe lewis's second wife as well so she okay. had a celebrity athlete yeah. well after his prime or whatever but still she was you know you had the rose morgans uh, you had ophelia devore who's also in my book she ophelia divorce started out as a model and she owned her own modeling agency um for a time and she was also an activist um she pro- she um protested to get more black models and advertising oh, wow. and different things that so she you know put her money where her mouth is so you had those people and so someone like Oprah who came yes. you know out of you know I remember my gosh as a teenager when Oprah first came out children <laughs> when, when, when we were young um, I liked Oprah initially because she was a Maya Angelou fan I'm like oh wow you yeah. know because she reads and she likes Maya Angelou she's different I said I like this I like this Oprah <laughs> yes, yes. I like her and and keep in mind it was a big deal when her talk show went national now right. everyone thinks Oprah was always national oh, she no. started in Chicago yes and then once it was syndicated you can finally see it because I would read about her in all the magazines yes. but her show was not yes on. so once it came became national then you can finally see, see Oprah's it, show yes one of my favorite yeah. favorite podcasts is Making Oprah where that goes yeah, that through the whole one. yeah I like that one like yeah. how she um, that was a great podcast and you know they're doing a new season with Barack Obama oh I know yes. I, I was like what Yay. this is crazy um, what about like a Beyonce or like oh absolutely so Beyonce you think would be one of the, the goddesses okay so Beyonce absolutely. Oprah anyone Be- else uh, Beyonce uh, Oprah like the ones that are huge like that like yeah. neon signs yeah. like the Beyonce Oprah Michelle Obama okay. the satellite they'll be yes people like um, who else Halle Berry Halle Berry, yes. Absolutely. Serena Williams. Oh, I love Serena you know, because, Williams. Again, because not just, she broke through athletically. Uh, um, again, growing up, tennis playing. We heard about Althea Gibson. Yes. Zena Garrison was a tennis player okay. in the late 80s. Um, there, were also, there were some black tennis players that, that, uh, that came through here, here and there. But the way, you know what, Serena and Venus just kept winning and winning and winning. Yeah. When you're undeniable, that's when you're, yes. you know. The, and that's a shame because that's the seal. That's our threshold. We have to, you know, yes. we have to be break undeniable. Ev- we have to break every single record that exists to be. Right. Yeah. If you're a Latino, you know, if you're Lin-Manuel Miranda, like you got to yes. be like, you have to be like. You have a, to make Hamilton to. Yes. yes. Like yes. he's undeniable. So 50 years from now, you'd be looking at him. But as far as the women, you'll see, like I said, the, the Halle Berry uh, um I said obviously Beyonce, Rihanna. You know, yeah. you have, it's like you know, Nina Mamie McKinney. I mean, people now there's a lot of good YouTube videos and pictures, and so now people, you know, she was kind of like the Rihanna of her day. You know, again, going to all the crazy parties in yeah. Hollywood, black and white, gay and straight, and everything in between. <laughs> yes. The drugs, the parties, yeah. the people, the you know, dating Shebas and Sheiks or whatever. I mean, the whole. That's I mean, talk about a movie. Yes, I know. Someone doing her, you know, I mean, there's so many people, but uh, again, we've been, you know, that's why people are so unaware of it. That's why people, you know, every initially in the beginning, people will say, well, why does it have to be vintage black glamour? Okay. And I'm like, well, how many Hollywood books do you have on your coffee table and how many black people are in it? They don't even have the basics like Lena Horne and Dorothy Dandridge. Yes. You might have a book with, with uh, 
uh, Josephine Baker in her banana skirt. And I love the <laughs> banana skirt, Brooke, but I have to say, I, my, one of my well, little things, especially initially with, with that, I, I love everything about Josephine Baker. Yes. Because... But they, they talk mar- about undeniable and, yes. and, and, and being yourself and especially in w- of um, obscene re- rejection, oh. not just the racism, but of, say your own race. You're not doing what a woman's supposed to do. You're not doing what a black woman is supposed to do. Everything. You're not doing what a poor woman's supposed to do, whatever. Why, why don't you, you know, quote unquote, whatever. Yes. So if you're Josephine Baker and it's 1925 <laughs> and you're being Josephine Baker, God bless you. And yes. so I mean, I love the, the, banana, I love the, the oh, I'm sorry. I love the banana skirt, but the reason I didn't have it in the book and the reason I didn't do that is because that's the thing that everyone sees it. I always I ask people, have you seen it before then you won't see it in vintage black glamour Ooh, i like that as a point of differentiation if you notice in the pictures of her in my book she's already in her 30s and 40s yes and and some of the pictures of her that you've put in your book are pictures that i had never seen before so That's i appreciate idea. that i agree with you about the banana skirt especially because she was marketed as a savage i mean isn't the name of that performance where she was the on the savage yeah. Yeah. well she it was well she was also participating in it because think about it it's like it. it's like washer woman in st louis or that you know what i mean yeah and she was yeah, she was in Harlem and she was, you know, doing, you yeah. know, I mean, look, I don't blame. It's like the step and fetch. Yeah, she's like, I'll put on this banana skirt. Fine. Pay me my money. I don't judge yeah. the people <laughs> th- those days. I don't judge her. Yeah. I don't judge step and fetch it, which his real name is Lincoln Perry, you know, yeah. doing his um, thing because they did look, they did what they had to do. And they, they broke down barriers to a degree so, as well. For better or for worse, that's exactly what they did. Mm-hmm. Bill Robinson, all the people that we have, you know, the people in our history who some people have problems with because of the, their portrayals or who they associated with, whatever, whether it was Sammy yeah. Davis and Eartha Kid. They like to talk about that. They don't talk about how Sammy Davis and Eartha Kid had to put their own money into mm-hmm. um, promoting Anna Costa when that movie came out. Oh, I didn't know the that. The Southern Theaters wouldn't play it because they said it wow. was too racy and, and you know, basically, it's too, you know, it's Anna Costa. she's, you know... She was basically she's basically playing a woman who's a prostitute, like her, and and she was molested as a child, and whole, all these deep, you know, um, themes that were that came about. They when that when Anna Lucasta first came out, I think in the thirties, like the late thirties, it was the the play the play. I think it was I want to say Philip Jordan. I'm I'm blanking on so many names today, but obviously it was a white um, a white cast that did it first, and right. then on Broadway they had a black cast, and Hilda Sims and other actors undid it. When they when that movie finally came out. The censors were still, they were loosening up some, but not as, as much. And so they had a lot of problems with that. So Sammy Davis and um, Eartha Kid had to write letters to these Southern theater owners saying this movie is not this um, a disgrace. I, I forget, like, oh, it, it just, just the, the absurd. The absurd things that people don't think about now that, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes now that people are like, what, you're doing that in 2018? But believe me, in 1958, you had to do that. If you're Harry Belafonte and you're producing Odds Against Tomorrow, and you know, and you're uh, you're trying to um, maybe also. Um, Odds Against Tomorrow was a film noir that he produced. Oh, I, I don't know uh, about it. Oh yeah, yeah. It's that's another clip. Cicely, uh, young Cicely Tyson is in that movie. Oh, okay. Carmen de Lavalade. Oh, isn't really? It? Yeah, okay. Cicely Tyson was the bartender, and Car- um, Carmen de Lavalade was like his love interest. Okay. Um, Robert Earl Jones was in it. James Earl Jones' oh, father. Gosh. So there's yes. a lot of yeah, just a lot, lot of so things. Much, there's just so much history. I think that. Black Americans, actually black people, I mean, there's just a very rich history. And there's Absolutely. 
But so now, much. But now it's available to us because yes. of the internet and also YouTube. Because especially, uh, I started Vintage Black Glamour online yep. in January 2011. It's been seven years now. And initially, when I would first, I would look for pictures initially because I didn't want to post anything things that people had already posted. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the pictures, I know I was the first one. Of course, yeah. And so then a lot of people would tag it later and like, oh my God, it's so amazing. And I'm like, yes. No, but you've, but you've done like a huge service just for the preservation of these images. Because imagine if you didn't scan the, you know? I hope so. I mean, I'm glad now a lot of things are so much more available. A lot of libraries have their um, archives online, online now. I know. So yeah. whether, I mean, when I was doing, like I told you about the time when I was in the Schomburg researching my book. And Physically Adiva doing it and the family. I had to go, when I was in Chicago, um, I had to go to the Chicago Public Library yes. to look into their archives yep. and look into the microfiche and, and look up the, the Chicago Defender and the papers. When I was in Los Angeles, I went to the Los Angeles Public Library. I would go to, mm. now you don't have to do that. You yes. can go online and a lot of these things all, that I had to fly for, now they're right there. They're right there. So right. all these people, they're, you know, screen, you know, these scripts. It, I mean, I'm writing uh, the scripts now. There, if you want to write a, a book or a movie or you have an idea about something, there's so many people that someone has never heard, heard of. There's 50 Martin Luther King movies or Rosa Parks, and why not? There, there's been, you know. Yeah. But it's been done. There's there are so other stories other, that need to be so told. There's so many other stories that no yes. one's... T- and, and, and there's a couple of ideas that I always keep in my back pocket that I'm doing now. And I always check and see if anybody's doing it. And I'm like, wow, they're still not doing it. Interesting. Yes. Okay. Well, I thank you for your work. And I thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, we should do you. a little cheers. Cheers. Thank I'm, you, Brooke. I'm, I feel like I have so many people I have to like look into now. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I'll tell... Well, I don't know if I'll email you, tell whatever's better. Send me everything. Everyone listening, please, please go... You can get all of Nichelle's books. She she has Chew Out. Yes, two. Yeah, Vintage Chew Black out. Glamour and Vintage Black Glamour Gentleman's Quarters, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's the men's edition. It's the men's, and I need to get that one, actually, because I don't have that one yet. But these books are such a pleasure to have. I have mine on my coffee table. I just, like, on weekends, I'll just kind of, like, sit here, and I'll just open it, and it'll make me happy every single time. Thank it's you. not something that you, like, read once and you're done with. And then when my guests come over, they always want to see it, because it's, like, these beautiful stories and images, and it's just, like, such a special thing. So I thank, thank you so you. much for coming on so the much. show. And uh, thanks, guys, for listening. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.